I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Day by day, the situation in the fence has grown steadily more tragic, with floodwaters from the River Ouse pouring through breaches in the protecting dikes. Twenty-four hours a day, troops, prisoners of war and civilian workers labour to close the gaps and bring relief to the surrounding villages and to the farmland so vital to our national food production. For 14 days and nights, the Whale River ran backwards in its bed and the floods stood in the land. They lay all about Fenchurch St Stephen, a foot above the railway embankment, so that the trains came through snorting and slowly, sending up a wall of water right and left. St Peter suffered most, its houses being covered to the sills of the upper windows and its cottages to the eaves. At St Paul, everything was flooded eight feet deep, except the mound where church and rectory stood. Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepherd. I'm Lloyd Shepherd. This is the second part of our adventure with Dorothy L. Sayers' The Nine Tailors, a detective fiction book from the grand era of detective fiction of the 30s. Absolutely, a classic. A classic, uh, set in the Fenlands of East Anglia, Cambridgeshire and... Uh, Lincolnshire, and uh, in the first part we went church hunting, but as you can tell by the reading we started this off, this is going to be about water. The second part is It is. Yeah, so it's not going to be about murder, you see. No. It's weird, isn't it? And that's one of the things we've been pointing out about this book, is uh, that the Nine Tailors is, she has aspirations to be a sort of literary novelist, does she not? I think she does. I think she wants to raise her game. Yeah, I think it's more like sort of Wilkie Collins Dickens type aspiration than it is Agatha Christie. I think that's probably true. But that doesn't mean we're not going to spoil the detective thing for you <laughs> by telling you who the murderer is. spoilers. Because we yeah, will do. do. So if watch you don't out. want to know who done it, yeah. look away now, but we will be talking about who done it yeah. and how done it. Her famous detective is Peter Whimsey. Lord Peter Whimsey. Lord Show Peter some respect. Whim- oh, well, whatever. And the reason he's in this region is because his brother is the Duke of Denver. Yeah, which is a town in... Which is a, a real place. Yeah. Uh, of all the things in the book, the way yeah. you think she's made things up, Denver turns out to be a real place. She says, Dorothy L. says at the beginning of the book, she says, the surnames used in this book are all such as I have myself encountered among the people of East Anglia. But every place and person described is wholly fictitious, as are also the sins and negligences of those entirely imaginary bodies, the Whale Conservancy Board, the Fen Drainage Board and the East Level Waterways Commission. It's because of the running theme, isn't there, that the powers that be are not maintaining 
the sluices and drains of the fens in an adequate way, and a flood is almost inevitable. Well, this book was published in 1934. It was very topical yep. to be talking about drains and flooding in East Anglia, okay. which we'll explain about later. Yeah. Actually, in terms of dating this book, it's quite interesting to say, when did it take place? Because there's a big flood at the end of it. When were the big floods of the Fens? Yeah. Does this one fit into it or yeah. not? Um, if not, why not? I can not? tell by your face that you know the answer to that question. It's entirely rhetorical. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's why we're here. That's listener. why we're here. So where are we going first today? Well, I thought we would start at a place called Ramsey. Yep. And uh, there are two reasons to go to Ramsey. One is that it's very watery, uh, or was very watery. It's a rather ancient town, a Fenland town. As a result, it had an abbey there. And in the book, Fenchurch St. Paul is said to have been quite important in its day with an abbey. Yep. So Ramsey might fit, we thought. But the main reason I wanted to go because... There's also a train, as you mentioned in the reading, there's trains chugging around. Where is there a place with lots of train lines with lots of trains chugging around? Mm. Well, I was excited to discover that Ramsey had two train stations. See, I am thinking of you. Yeah, it was very kind. By a waterfall, I'm calling you. We can share it all beneath a ceiling of blue. We'll spend a heavenly day Here where the whispering water East Anglia lay. is famous for the size and splendour of its parish churches. Still, we flatter ourselves we are almost unique, even in this part of the world. It was an abbey foundation, and in the old days, Fenchurch St Paul must have been quite an important place. Okay, so we're looking for an abbey. We're looking for an abbey foundation and a place that used to be quite important. You found me one. You're staring at it now, aren't you? I'm staring at Ramsey Abbey Gatehouse. Yep. Which is huge. It is big, isn't it? If that's just the gatehouse, what was the abbey like, eh? Yeah. Must have been huge. And then behind us is is the church, which is, it doesn't really match the Fenchurch St Paul profile. Tower's not tall enough. No, the church doesn't fit. But the fact that there's an abbey here is, is another composite... You're and telling um, me that Oliver Cromwell had a house in there. His dad. His dad. His dad, yeah, the Cromwells built a house inside, inside the Abbey. Inside the Abbey. Yeah, so we were in proper roundhead territory. So none of your royalist talk here. Okay, I shan't mention any royalist talk as I normally do. <laughs> the other reason why Rams is interesting because the, the uh, Fenchurch St Paul and Fenchurch St Peter and Fenchurch St Mary have a railway running kind of Running through them. it, yes. It then leads off to a place called Little Dykesy on the map. Yeah. As you can imagine, Tim, I was looking at the railways. Well, uh, the I, railways I left that to you. The railways in the Fens are quite interesting, and this is one of the interesting quite ones. Quite interesting. So there's basically a railway line that runs from St Ives, just in the south of here, yeah. up to March. Beware the March and St Ives. Yeah, very good. That's my it's old kind joke. of the yeah. capital of the Thank Fens. Thank you very much. There's a line that runs across that from Ely to Spalding through March. Oh, so March is the hub. And there's a line that runs across from Kings Lynn down to St Mary... And then across to Peterborough. Okay. But then there's this little line here that runs off the line between St Ives and March. There was a little branch line that ran to Ramsey. Right. Uh, but, there, the, but there was another branch line to Ramsey that ran off the Great East Coast line. So um, how many, how many so railway lines that are around Ramsey? Yeah, loads of railway lines. And of, of the main reason there were so many railway lines is basically for freight. They were moving all the produce out of the A lot field. of fruit and sugar beet. A lot of fruit and sugar beet. I read somewhere that's like, something like a third of the most valuable... 
farming soil in the country is in this this area of the fens yes yeah. well we'll be talking about the rapacious adventurers you came here to to create that yeah. land and then own it uh, to the detriment of the people who actually lived here so there were two branch lines one ran to ramsey north station one ran to ramsey east station but they never joined them up <laughs> never joined them up at all why would they? Yeah, well, that might be because there was an enormous piece of water in the, between them. There was a Burry Brook. The Great White, yeah. as uh, they call it now, yeah. which is now, it's culverted over. It's got, the, the high street is, is oddly wide in Ramsey. And the reason is because is it's actually covering over a huge river. Well, and, and there's tunnels point. underneath there. It used to be navigable, right? So, you, so you yeah, yeah. You there was a time when you could have brought your produce up on the railway, yeah. unloaded it on Ramsey East Station, yeah. stuck it on a boat. All the way out. All the way out into the wash. Yeah, yeah. And then off to... So that's why, that's why we're looking around. There's come, come quite big houses here. I'm looking at one right now, very big old Georgian house. Yeah. So, you know, it this had was quite moment. a well-to-do area. Oh, no doubt. the Cromwells were here, I suppose. Yes. No, it was quite a wealthy town. So too big, I think, for Fenchurch Much too Peter. big. Much too big. The only thing it's got going for it is the abbey and the proximity to the railway. And the waterways. Yeah. The potential for flooding. Yeah. But I think the reason why they culverted the Great White was because it was constantly flooding the village. So they put it in three yeah. Victorian tunnels. Which yeah. are, There's a website for the tunnels of Ramsey called Ramsey. If there's a tunnel, there'll be a website. It's always the case. <laughs> I'm amazed your mate Matt from Londonist hasn't done a yeah, piece I about it. I think it's a bit too far north for him. <laughs> Huge areas of low-lying fens still lie beneath the overwhelming floods. The water has fallen slightly below its peak level, but the danger from crumbling banks is still acute. Troops have been sent to the stricken district to give relief, and they and civil volunteers are engaged in the fight against encroachment. Cottages and houses are marooned. Planks and trestles are the only access to home for those who have stayed behind. High tides are the bogey here. If the pressure breaks open the banks, a fresh area of 80,000 square acres may be submerged. So it's fairly clear that the Fens is a damp place. <laughs> it's a very damp place, by definition. <laughs> yeah. I was looking, actually, on... You know, you see those sort of slightly apocalyptic uh, maps that climate change websites offer about what yeah, the world's going to look the, like yeah. if, if the sea rises by half a metre or whatever. Mm. And any of those, the whole... Of the fens is yeah. underwater. Yes. Just gone. Yes. It's interesting to think about the history of it a little bit because a place like Ramsey, they were used to flooding all the time. They, that's why they built their abbeys and churches on islands, on hills. Yeah. And then the rest of them all just made do with flooding. In fact, the flooding might have been good for fishing, you know. For well, there was a time, wasn't there, right? when places like Ramsey and Ely, you know, we talked in our podcast about Neverwhere, that, you know, planes ending in E tend to be islands yes they would have been islands you know they would have been surrounded by marshland and yeah. you know, and water maybe we're going back to those days and that was true right up until the 17th century yes uh, and then it became true again for a while <laughs> then it was finally kind of turned into the landscape we know today in sort of late 18th and then early 19th centuries but uh, you're right there was a whole culture that grew up around the water right yeah. so there were fishermen and you know all that kind of stuff and one of the things I found interesting was that because of, because of all that water and it froze in the winter, ah. and that's all gone now, 
is uh, that's where um, do you know that's where speed skating was invented? Ah, uh, you were telling about this now because um, when we drove into Bluntisham, we the, saw the, people the skating. The ooze had 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 flooded, had flooded a little yeah. bit, and and created a huge pond that then had iced over. It was minus yeah. three when we went up there, yeah, and yeah. there were people skating there. There were people skating there, and it was a huge thing. You know, fen skating. They they had matches. It became a you know, a regular event. Right. Legendary skaters as Larman Register. They got some great names. William Turkey Smart. William Gutter Percher C and brothers George Fish Smart and James Smart. You know, so there was all, all sorts of well, uh, and stuff going they're on. They're great ice, ice skaters. Ice speed skaters, skaters. Speed skaters. So they had these races. Oh, I see. The other thing that they invented yeah. was a, a, a. Have you heard of Bandy? No, I've never Bandy? heard of this. So Bandy's a form of ice hockey that precedes ice hockey, invented on the fence. It's huge in Russia. Apparently, is it? It's essentially a combination of football and and hockey, but on skates. So it's eleven aside. You know, there's offside and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it's played on. It's played Ooh, on. I and it's, see it's, that. It, it was a big deal back in the day, was it? And and oh, w- when you say back in the day, when, when are we talking? Oh, we're, we're talking about the kind of the 18th and 19th centuries. Okay. The rules. It's one of those ones where everybody was playing it for centuries, right? Ah. But the rules were also codified by the English. in the 19th century by the English. I can't help feeling that Peter Whimsey would have been. Good at bandy. He would have been said, oh, I played bandy, yes, of course. Yes, of course, I, I'll fill in for well, you. Well, Denver, obviously, w- where it is in geographically, yeah. would have been a place where fence skating and bandy were recognised and played. Bound so, to be good. You know, we have to thank, of course, for the, the death of bandy. Our old friend from Rivers of London podcast, yeah. the Duke of the Bedford. The Duke of Bedford. Now, he was obviously a big Always lamp. got an eye for a, a, a deal. On the main chance. So Charles I is king. Yeah. They're looking around going, Duke of Bedford's going, what's under all that water over there? Yeah. You know, it's very shallow. Could we not just, you know, get rid of the water and turn it into farmland, mm. which I can then rent out mm. and make those money? So I don't worry about your cultural history. Get rid of it and, you know, put some farm farmland down there. Yeah. So obviously, who do you ask when you want to drain land? Uh, a Dutchman. You go to the Dutch, don't you? Yeah, just uh, like Manchester United. Uh, just like Manchester United, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. You want to ruin you, the environment and make loads of money. You went too far. You go, you you go went, to the Dutch. You went too far. <laughs> you went too far. So anyway, the chap who was doing the draining was Cornelius Vermeiden. Yes, or Vermoyden, working for the Duke of Bedford. You you, you say Vermoyden, I'll say Vermoyden. Vermoyden, Vermoyden, Vermoyden. It's probably more like that, isn't it? (laughs) One of the the drains we we drove down, the forty foot, forty foot, was also known as Vermoyden's drain. Vermoyden's drain. Yeah, they uh, they drained the water uh, away, and that went all quite well. Uh, the Bedford Level Corporation, the company of adventurers, as they yeah. were called, were, were formally constituted. The trouble is, once they drained the water, it exposed the peat to the air that had been underneath the water. Yeah. And what happens to peat when it's exposed to the air? It dries out. What happens when it dries out? It shrinks. Ah. So the land shrunk down even further, <laughs> and more water came in. Right. So it was all a bit of a disaster. It's almost like they didn't know what they were they doing. They didn't know what they were doing. This sounds uh, like Thames Water all over again. When you go there now, yeah. the, these drains are all got big banks around them. They yeah. didn't have them initially. They just dug out channels. Yeah. And, but then they realised, oh, you know, we're going to have to, you know, because the water's rising. It's we're crazy, have to right? The next big engineer was involved was John Rennie uh, at the end of the 18th century and early 19th century. He was the one who built the Denver Sluice. Oh, we're we going there today. soon. We're going there soon. And that was a more effective drainage of the uh, of the landscape. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's what really turned it into an economic powerhouse. And some huge proportion of the England's high-value arable land is in 
the fens. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a quarter or something. Yeah, it's yeah. Just a, it's incredibly valuable. And locals did sort of try to resist, didn't they? They were the fen tigers. Oh, yes, they smashed up water pumps. Yeah, yeah. They were like, we, we quite like it wet. I think it'd be quite nice, wouldn't it, if a bit of the water came back and Ramsey was an island again. Well, and... it is, Lloyd. Yeah. So it does still flood. Yeah, well, there's a massive flood in the book. Yeah. It's brilliantly depicted, I would say. Yeah. There's, a, there's an ongoing kind of drumbeat warning all the way through where they go to a sluice in the book and the guy, oh, the sluice keeper, is saying, yeah. oh, they've not made repairs to this sluice for decades and it's, yeah. it's all going to go. There is a sluice that's like that. Um, it's called Welsh's Dam. Yes. And it's where the 40-foot connects into the old Bedford River, but it doesn't anymore because it got silted up and they never bothered clearing it. But and I think it was only until about the 1990s or something. It was navigable, and there was an old sluice there, but they've just let it go yeah. and wasn't managed properly. Yeah. So I would say the Welsh's Dam is the model. Yeah. But the floods, obviously everybody remembers the 1953 flood. Not everyone remembers it, but everyone in East Anglia does because lots of people died. And then after that, there were a number of other defences put in. In fact, that's when the Denver sluice got taken seriously, as it mm-hmm. were. It'd be nice if this country did things before floods rather than after them. They just never do. Now, in terms of the big flood, there was one in 1947 that was pretty massive. Mm-hmm. The 47 one was more about snow melt and, the, and huge amounts of water coming down the river rather than the sea inundation. There was one in 1928. And then the other one I'm really interested in is there's one in 1912 which is when Dorothy would have been 18 and still in Bluntisham. The water there came... You know where that wall was at Bluntisham? Yes. Where we were standing by? The water came up to there. Yeah. So I think that might be a point of inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll come to the dating as to whether 1928 or 1912 are, are good candidates yeah. for the year of the book. Spoiler, they're not. They're not. But it's important to know that this thing's happening. And that obviously it will happen again. Of course it will. These floods are going to just keep happening. Nothing's going to stop it in the end. Yeah. Don't know why There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather Since my gal and I ain't together Keeps raining all the time So I realised that in our Neverwhere podcast we spent quite a lot of time staring at walls in this podcast, we're going to spend quite a lot of time staring at drains. Yes, but they're not drains in the way that most people think of them, are they? They're canals, really, aren't they? They are. People do come canoeing up and down these Cuts, things. they call them as well. So this is the 40-foot drain. This, my friend, is the 40-foot drain, or Vermoyden's drain. Vermoyden's drain. Vermoyden is the famous Dutchman who Charles was hired. The fir- Charles the first. And the Duke of Bedford paid him to... Uh, the, yeah, the Duke, the Duke of Bedford is starting to crop up quite a lot is. in our podcast. He was in our um, Rivers of London podcast. The, the Dukes of Bedford always seem to have an eye for business, don't they? They do. And, and it's usually to do with hoovering up a lot of land so, and turning yeah. it into a money-making scheme. But anyway, I bring you here to Ramsey 40 foot. Yes. It's uh, 40 foot from uh, the cut to the to cut, right? Yes. The actual... Drain the is a width. bit narrower than that. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a, right. we're standing above a, a long, straight, quite wide canal. It would look like to you, to most people. Yes, and the reason I brought you here is that in the book, the thirty-foot yeah. drain runs east to west to the north. To the north of Fenchurch. Fenchurch St. Paul. So, where can you find a cut, a drain that runs 
east and west. Because most of them run... With a village to the south of it. Most of them run sort of north to south, don't they? But That's on right. an angle. Because they're heading kind of towards the wash. Southwest obviously. to northeast, maybe. And they're following the course of the river. Yeah. From inland to outland. But this joins up the River Neen. Yes. To... Well, it went, went out, it used to go out to what was called Welsh's Drain yeah. and then into the new Bedford River yeah. and then up to Denver Sluice yeah. and then out that yeah, way. Wash. It doesn't do that anymore. They now have a 16-foot drain. I believe it's the 16-foot drain. Right. Quite the one. Because Welsh's Dam no longer exists. So then that cuts, that, that's another cut that comes out at Wigan Hall St. Germans. Uh, it's very confusing, isn't it? <laughs> well, in the book it says it's incredibly confusing. Yeah. From the chaos of trying to understand what the hell goes on oh, out yeah, here. It's confusing, isn't it? It's been quite a, a difficult to put together an itinerary, but I think I, I've got well, a good When you one, come then. here and you see all these, lo- these strong, long, straight channels, you kind of think, well, it must be quite straightforward. They look very long and straight, but they're all going at weird angles to each other. They are. But it's spectacular, though, isn't it? And it's quite it's an beautiful. engineering achievement. Oh, amazing. You can also understand why the locals wouldn't be happy if you turned up and just started digging big old cuts across their land. Well, there would have been water over there. It's a bit raised up here, isn't it? There would have been water over there. As almost as far. Ramsey, this is the last bit of Ramsey, because it's called Ramsey 40 foot. Yeah. And Ramsey is on an island, so there would have been an island where Ramsey is. Yeah. But it would have been surrounded by water. But what they've done is they've basically cut through here, flooded it, and then everything on the other side... Is their land? Yes, of is the, is the Duke of Bedford's land yeah. suddenly? But it was. So if you lived here, and you'd been used to just going off and doing eel fishing, fishing or whatever you yeah. liked, whenever you liked, suddenly it's been suddenly. Nicked. You probably have to pay a toll just to get across the bridge. Do you know what I mean? It's the old story. I'm with the Fen Tigers. Oh, we're with the Fen Tigers up, every time. We're joining the Fen Tigers. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we've got to go and uh, smash up a pumping station we do quite that? soon. Should we do that? Have you picked one? <laughs> Ernie crosses this bank dividing the old Bedford from the Delft on most days of the year. Unlike us, who are generally just cogs in involved interdependent systems, he can rely only on himself and has to make what he can from the wealth that the rivers and the waterside provide. We've got about five acres of willows. We've had them in our family for a hundred years or more. And... uh, my grandfather used to supply all the basket shops in Ely and, well, practically all over the country with Willers one time. When he bought one acre of land, what I've got today, <clears throat> that's a hundred years ago, he paid £200 for that acre then, so there must have been a, a good trade for Willers at that time of day. It must have been a good business. But today, plastic has put an end to the willow trade. No longer do the farmers require potato baskets or skeps for feeding their cattle. And gone forever is the time when the women of Welney lined these banks to peel bark from the osiers and the river resounded with their laughter. What night was that? Same day as they buried her ladyship it was. Here a chorus of voices broke in. January the 4th, Ezra. That's when it were. That's right, Saturday. January the 4th, so twere. So twere. Very good. Full Norfolk there. Well, an approximation. Close enough. Anyway, there's a day and a date. Saturday, January the 4th. There's a day and a date. Hooray! The book came out in 1934. Yes. So, Saturday, January the 4th, there are a number of options. 
but one of which is 1930. Does that match other things that are going on in the book? Yes, it does. She's done a good job. I, I think she might be one of us. Not well, there's a section where uh, they talk about the crime timeline. So in this story, a necklace is stolen. A necklace of emeralds. And, and two men are accused of it, are, are arrested mm-hmm. and go to prison. Deacon and, and, and Deacon, Cranton. Yeah, and Deacon escapes from prison. He does. The theft of the necklace is, is listed as April 1914, yeah. a Thursday night. Deacon is sent to prison and he escapes from prison in 1918. Yep. And a body is found in a gravel pit in Kent. Is it Kent? In Kent, yeah. Uh, two years Maidstone later. Maidstone Way. Ah, two years later, 1920. 1920. And the thought is that it's Deacon's body. But yep. is it? Question yep. mark. Spoiler. And then it says, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. 1930. 1930, yeah. So I think we have to say this is 1930. Yeah. One aside, I think, is a little uh, bit of detail that I, I admire her for, is that Will Thode, one of the suspects of the murder, at the time is bedridden at home with what is supposed to be Spanish flu. There's a Spanish flu ec- epidemic. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1930, there wasn't a, so much of a Spanish flu epidemic. But in 1930, there was an epidemic of parrot fever. I now, got a fever. <laughs> <laughs> now, who owns a parrot? Oh, good shout. The Thodos own a parrot, don't yes. they? Yes. That's brilliant. He hasn't got flu. He's, He's got, got parrot, parrot fever. fever. <laughs> very good. So That's I, excellent. That's pretty the good. The other thing she gets right, and I think is very clever, yeah. you know, we talked about 1934 being a grim year, yeah. and this doesn't make any reference to politics, except she talks about the economic collapse, because oh. James Thoday... Will Thoday's brother works in merchant shipping. Yes, and there, you know, the jobs are all drying up. Well, the Wall Street crash was 1929. Yeah, so those ripples from that would have been, you know, the, the really bad depression wasn't for another couple of years, but it was already hitting the world economy in early 1930. So that's pretty good as well. I think the storm and the flood is a metaphor for the coming storm. Yeah, do you? I do. What's a metaphor? It's like something else, isn't it? Yeah. I can't remember what. Yeah. Well, and then also that idea that the community come together. Come together around on an the island. church. Yeah. Which is, you know, very Dorothy exactly. says. And the, the church is the sanctuary. It's prefiguring a kind of blitz spirit, isn't very it? Very much so. Don't yeah. you think? I mean, it's probably worth saying it took her a long time to write this book. It took her so long that she had to write another book in between, you know, while she was writing because her publisher was like, look, we need another book. Yeah. So she wrote the advertising one, Murder Must Advertise. In between. In be- put this one to one if side. If you read wrote, it, you can tell it's, it's, <laughs> it's a much snappier read. Okay. It is a much snappier she read. She wanted this one to be right, though, didn't she, obviously? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's two explanations. One is that she's really in love with it and sort of lost in it, and the other is that it's got away from her. Mm. Could be a bit of both. Yeah, could be a bit of both. Um, but anyway, the dates are good, generally. So we're saying 1930 that basically he turns up at uh, New, on Year's New Year's Eve, Eve 1929. 1929, Peter Mimsey crashes yeah. his car, and we, we've told you where that is. Exactly where so it is. So we've got very... If you want to go and crash your car, you know where to do it now. <laughs> Make sure it's a French car. Yeah, with no roof. <laughs> so we've got very specific about dates. One little problem I had about that. He, he He's returned to solve this crime at Easter time, isn't he? He does. Yeah, it says four months later, doesn't it? Yes, and he says Easter comes quite late. Yeah. Now, if we look all that up, that's fine. Then they have to have a funeral two weeks after Good Friday, they said. Yeah. Now, two weeks after Good Friday on a very late Easter mm-hmm. takes you to the beginning of May. Yeah. 
And what they say is that they're going to have an inquest on the Monday. Yeah. Now, she's got that wrong. Right. Because if you go two weeks after that Easter, you're on May Day, it's a bank holiday. No, Monday's a bank holiday. Yeah. Okay. No, nobody's doing an inquest. Nobody's doing an on inquest bank on bank holiday, holiday. Monday. Huh? You, I mean, that's just an oversight. She hasn't. She hasn't thought that through. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is going. This is a minor quibble in an otherwise beautifully constructed timeline. I'm afraid that the spring high tides in 1930 don't accord. Oh, really? So that that can't be right. Okay. She doesn't look at tie tables. She hasn't. She the, hasn't the other respected thing, the bank holidays. The other obsession we have is county lines. Ah. She doesn't mention counties in this, but all the locations that we've talked about are in Huntingdonshire. When did that change? Is that Which doesn't a, exist anymore. Was that county, in 1970 as well? Now it's part of Cambridgeshire. Does she mention a county at all? No, I don't think she does. But it's interesting that most of the bloggers say this is a book about Cambridgeshire, don't they? Yeah. And it's, it's not. It's, it's a book about, a book about Huntingdonshire at the time it came out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like it. But 1930 works. Perfect. Well done. Congratulations. Good work, Dorothy. Yes. You're in the club. Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to what's the best satisfying uncloggings. This dam hadn't been opened in years, so take a look at the result when it was finally opened. lost now in one vast sheet of water he hauled himself to his feet and gazed out from horizon to horizon to the southwest st stephen's tower still brooded over a dark platform of land like a broken mast upon a sinking ship every house in the village was lit up st stephen was riding the storm westward 
the thin line of the railway embankment stretched away to Little Dykesy, unvanquished as yet, but perilously besieged. Due south, Fenchurch St Peter, roofs and spire etched black against the silver, was the centre of a great mere. So this is the flood. I can hear a trickle. Well, we're standing, <laughs> standing at the disappointingly tranquil Denver Sluice. Well... You say disappointingly. Well, no, it, not dis- point, dis- disappointingly you know, for podcast purposes. The whole point, the whole point of the Denver Sluice, <laughs> which is supposed to be tranquil, is, is exactly the fact that it is tranquil. <laughs> what an extraordinary! Yeah, it took place. quite a drive to get here. It's quite an odd middle Hard of nowhere find, kind of place. But we're here. Yeah. It's a miracle of engineering, British engineering. I see on Atlas Obscure it talks about it as being the underdog of British engineering. Wow. Little known hero because of the amazing job it does. At keeping the fens relatively dry. Yeah. More than that, that it's because of these sluice gates here that you've got any of these fens got turned into from marshland yeah. into usable arable fields. Yeah. Which are worth obviously billions of pounds a year. It's for, for over 400 years old. Which is incredible, isn't it? And then it collapsed in the 1700s once in a storm. 1713, destroyed by a high tide. Yeah. Last time it had a real crisis was 1953. Yeah. Which I noticed that there's quite a lot of new engineering works that goes on in yeah. the mid-50s here as a reaction to that. Apparently now, it's anyone's guess how it's going to last because of global warming and sea level rises. Yeah. There's going to, it's going to require another renovation within the next 30 to 50 years, apparently. Otherwise, the... it's all going back to marshland. Yeah, well... Which is quite something, isn't it? That would be a, a big loss to the agriculture industry. But uh, maybe the Fentigles will make their way back. Well, yes. Be, well, it, but it, to be honest, um, quite a lot of it... You know, the, um, the ooze washes. There's two really big bird reserves here. Wellneaf is yeah. one of them. Um, so quite large chunks of this land are being returned to Fenland for, yeah. for the birds. And uh, forget about the humans. To restore the peat as well, presumably, which is all dried yeah, up underneath. Yeah. Now, look, in the book, they'd refer to the Denver sluice yeah. and then refer to another big fictional sluice. Yeah. So it's one of those ones where really what we're talking about is the Denver sluice, but it's in two places. Yeah. Because there isn't this other big sluice. Well, that would be a miracle of modern engineering. <laughs> I know. So there's either the one at Eris, yeah. very near Bluntisham, where she grew up. Yeah. Or there's this one, Denver, up here. And that's it. Those are the two big sluice complexes, as it were. And this is the other end of the Bedford River, right? So this is where the Ouse and the Bedford Rivers meet. Yes, that's right. And also, just around the corner, the Cam as well. Boat all the way down to Cambridge. So if you hadn't got a sluice there at high tide, you'd get rid of the whole of Cambridge. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine. Just imagine. (laughs) It's an extraordinary thing, because it really is. A, it's keeping the sea at bay, and B, it's sort of taking all the ooze overspill away as well. This is why it's confusing, because when I was reading it up, it was saying that decisions on when to open up various parts of the Denver Sluice are down to how high the water is 
in some village on the Lincolnshire Cambridge border. Oh, is really? the sort of just yeah. one village. Well, yeah, they say, they say they just take these these standard threshold measurements and then go right, open up the sluice. No, close okay. the sluice. But based on uh, measuring these. Imagine little if you places. knew exactly where that was, you could create all sorts of havoc. I know. Be like a really. It does feel like really well informed terrorism. Well, it feels like a really odd dark art, doesn't it? It does. You, you, you yeah, only it does. you know that you know the river level at five places across the fens, and then you've got control of the whole system. Well, we were hoping to bring you a slightly more dramatic uh, noises at the uh, sluice, but got, uh, well, then it's closed. But that's, it, uh, everything's safe. That's fine. That's it, good. Yeah, you don't want to hear the dramatic noises. You can put, can't you put them on in post? That's when it's trouble. That's when we're in trouble. Yeah, put them on in post. Yeah, put a if, bit of. A, eventually, we're going to hear water. those noises, and we're yeah, not going to no, like it. No. Um, keep, keep it light. <laughs> We're going to give a score, aren't we? We have to. We normally give two scores, both done tongue-in-cheek, he emphasises. We give a score for Q-spec rating, which Mm. is how seriously the author takes dates and locations in the book. Mm. It's not the same as saying how accurate they are. It's more like, are they doing interesting things with dates and locations? That's right. Uh, Because I think that's going to be important on this one. I agree. Um, And then we give an artistic merit rating. Yes. Which has created some friction in the past. (sighs) You yes. were very annoyed with my Rivers of London rating. I wasn't annoyed. I was just bamboozled. No, I think you were annoyed. So should we do artistic rating first? Yes. So I'm going to go straight in with this. Is that first read, I did find it a rather difficult read. Then when I read up the stuff about her aspiration to be sort of Dickensian and like Wilkie Collins and stuff, on second read, I started to appreciate that and quite enjoy it. First read, I went into it as a detective novel, actually. Mm. And as a detective novel, I found it unsatisfying. And I think you're going to explain why. Mm-hmm. I didn't warm to Peter Whimsey as a character. Mm-hmm. Put a roof on your car, mate. Come on. <laughs> you're obsessed with that. Yeah. And then when we went out there into the landscape and then we understood about where she lived and what her dad did as a, as a vicar and the bells and all that, I really warmed to it and thought, oh, no, this is a passion project about where I grew up and about my parents and about their culture yeah. and about bell ringing as a thing. In fact, if you got rid of the detective novel stuff, if you didn't burden yourself with trying to solve a murder, I'd be very happy with this book, mm. and I'd probably give it an eight or a nine. Mm. But I'm going to give it a seven, because okay. I'm going to do a demerit for the fact that it's a strange mix of detective fiction and literary fiction, which doesn't quite work. I would agree with all of that. I think you put it very well. I think there's something going on about her giving up writing quite soon after as well. Yeah. I kind of feel that her... Her reach exceeds her grasp with this on this one, you know mm. that she has tried to write a different sort of book. Yeah, and it's you said earlier on it's got away from her. The detective bit doesn't. I mean, the killing itself is. I mean, it's ludicrous. You know, it, it, it is. Why do you say that? Well, because it, it, you you can't be killed by the sound of bells in a belfry. You know, it just, I've heard happen. a Kate Bush song where that can't, people get killed by noises. Okay, well, well, if it's in a Kate Bush song, it must be true. Yeah, but the other the other real problem I have with that whole section is that there's a guy. You know, 
this is very plot spoilery. There's a guy tied up and trussed up in the, the upper bell chamber. He, he doesn't seem to shout out at any point or make any kind of a noise. Or and He's up there for days and people are wandering around underneath. <laughs> he is underneath. up there for three days. And, you know, they never go, oh, what's they that They go up the and they take him food and beer. Yeah, it's just, it's just nonsense. And so he, mm. her central conceit doesn't work. I actually think Seven is generous. Oh, okay. But, but kind of, I would also... I kind of admire her for trying, so I'd probably go for a seven as well. I don't want to do her down as well, because if she's managed to make enemies of Stephen Spender and the Leversites, who yeah. are all looking down their noses yeah. at her because she's not literary enough, Absolutely. then I don't want to mark about down too much. She gets an extra much. point just for that. Yeah, exactly. If she got up their misogynist noses, then yeah. uh, she gets an extra point. Exactly, and so we don't want to be in their camp, do we? Sort we don't of talking want to be her in down. their camp. We don't want to be in their in camp. A funny I way, would, the other thing I would say about it, though, is it does... You said this as well, but it, it really repays a reread. It does. It's a fantastic read the second time around. Yeah, it is actually. It really, and when you can't start to see what she's playing at and everything. Yeah. So it's it's. I think it's yeah. She's so a seven. Good, she's a good. Seven's good. Seven's yeah. good. Q spec rating. Q spec rating is high for me okay. because yes, we know that Fenchurch St Paul is a fictional place. You can't particularly cite it apart from the car crash is mm-hmm. brilliant. I feel that was it. That mm-hmm. was it. Was there? So there were moments. There were definitely moments where I'm thinking, "No, this this feels good." Mm-hmm. And then I also like the imaginative sort of putting together of pieces of the landscape that she must have known so well. I like the idea that she's just gone round with a writer's eye and picked various elements and then put them together in a jigsaw. So maybe the reason it took so long to write was that she found it difficult to put all the jigsaw pieces together of all her memories of all these fantastic locations. But that means that you are still very committed to location work. And that means you get a high score, even if it's not accurate, mm-hmm. in my book. So I'm going eight. Okay. I thought you might even go to a nine. No, I think when we get to nines or tens, it has to be like accurate. Except, okay, all right. Well, we, we, you're stepping into the realms of non-fiction in fiction where, no, that's exactly where it happened, there and then. Yeah, okay. I, I think I probably would stretch to a nine, though, because I think what she's doing creatively with locations is really interesting. Yeah. I think the little map of the place, is it's almost like the Fenlands in miniature. You've got a drain, you've got a railway, you've got a church. She's yeah. got all the Fenland elements in this one little village. Yeah. And then I just think that the reach that we went to about the kind of location of it in Christchurch, which is, what, as you say, where the, the car crash happens and all that joining together, I just thought that well, that was exciting, discovering that. Yes, it going, was. You know. So I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go for a nine. Fair enough. I think it's interesting. Fair enough. So that's high scores. High scores. Now, listener, this book gets better if you've been in the landscape. Check the weather forecast, though. Yeah, there is that. We were lucky. We went on a very clear day. It was cold, but we went on a very clear blue skies, big skies going on forever. Yeah. Um, But I wouldn't fancy doing it in the rain. No, and also check the environmental agent flood reports as well. Yeah, and if you want to go to Denver Sluice, see what's open and what's not open. Otherwise, you'll be doing this tour in a coracle.
So this is the fifth church. Fifth church you've been to today. This is in March. Yes. Are, not March the month, the March the place. St. Wendredas? St. Wendredas, yes. Good Saxon name. I had another four churches to go, but you're you tiring. I can see it. Oh, come on. It's, it's, it's dark. There were so many churches to see. I slightly underestimated the time it would take to get from one church to another. I know, I know. It's a shame, though. We could yeah. do, we, we'll have to come back and do to more churches. Four. This church, did you know that John Betjeman once said that it was worth cycling 40 miles into a headwind to see this church? From Cambridge, presumably. Is that where he was coming from? I guess so, but he said it was worth it. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, John, I disagree. <laughs> well, we, well, we can't get in. We can't get in again. It's one of these things where you have to phone somebody up. Do you know what was very disappointing, which was that I had spoken to Helen, the captain of the bell ringers here. Yes, you had. Yeah. They were all ready to go on a Monday night, which is where uh, they do their night. practice at 7.30. Unfortunately, apparently, there's a bit of the spire that's been under an engineering survey found to be a bit rusty or insecure so they've postponed all bell ringing until it's repaired so that we couldn't get to meet meet the bell ringers and hear the bell bell ringing finish weren't we no that was going to be our wonderful ending i have to say that the helen of the bell ringers of st wendraders was incredibly positive and helpful about uh, letting giving us access and talking us all through it that would have been lovely so i'm it would have been a, a great ending which we haven't got I noticed that Wendreda is the daughter of King Anna and sister of Ethelreda and Sexburger. Sexburger. <laughs> five, bur- five burgers were never enough for Sexburger. <laughs> Ethelreda and Sexburger were both saints, by the way, as well. Yeah, they were, yeah. Now, the reason why this church is probably quite a good candidate yeah, internally, yeah. I think we're going to say there's a difference between internally and external yeah. in terms of... It's got a spiky spire, which we don't want, do we? We, we don't want, want spiky tower. spires. It has got eight bells. has got eight bells. Yeah, which the other church only had six bells. So this is the most bells we've come across so yeah. far in one church. And that would be akin. That would be uh, Fed Church St. Paul. Yeah. It has an angel roof, and it has it a much an more roof. spectacular angel roof than the one we saw in Upwell. Yeah. If only we could get inside to see it. I've looked through the window, and it does look spectacular. Yeah. They're not gilded either. No. There isn't a flute. I think the ones that are right in the roof might be gilded, which mm, you can't see from the photographs I've seen. I couldn't see that. Okay. I do like the ones that are on the ends of the corbels on the side, yeah. where you might again hide your jewels. Yes. So the one other church we went to yep. past was Emnuth, yep. which externally was quite good. Did you? It not was very think? good. It was on a little rise. It was on a little hill, and it and had you a pointed out. You had a picture from the book. That's right. Which I didn't have for some reason of nine tailors yeah. of the church, an artist's impression. That's right. And it was Emnath. Well, it was very similar, wasn't very it? Very similar to it. Very Edmund. similar. That is St. Edmund's Church. St. Edmund's Church. The other reason to like it, of course, the vicar of Emnath from 1953 to 1965, W.V. Audrey. <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine. Thomas the Tank Engine. Now, he was, I think he was slightly inspired by trains of the local area. Now, you know a little bit about that. Well, there was an interesting... There was a train line that ran from Upwell to Wisbeach. Yeah. There was essentially a tram. That's right. And he ran alongside the road. Yeah, and he has, a, he, has a, he has a tram engine. He does. He's one of the characters. Yeah, well, I don't know what they, which one. I can't remember which well, character is which. I know, I'm not familiar with his oeuvre. I remember Gordon. Gordon was the grumpy one, wasn't he? <laughs> well, you would remember that one, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> nice little connection to find yeah. someone like that. So five here. churches. Five churches to begin So we're, we're quite pleased with the theory that 
Dorothy L. Sayers is taking a bit of this and a bit of that, a spire from there, a bell from there, yeah. a churchyard from there, a rectory from there, and she's plonking them all down. Yeah. We think maybe in Christchurch, I where think, her parents buried. Yeah, that's because that was felt in terms of the where he crashes his, his car, car or walks, walks into the church, yeah, yeah. and that was all just bang on. That wasn't was actually it? pretty good, wasn't it? So yes, I think we found lots of constituent parts. So I'm yeah. quite satisfied. I'm not completely satisfied because I feel there's another five churches to go and probably several other uh, ditches to <sighs> look at and locks and stuff. Well, as I said to you outside one of them, Tim, it's not Panini. I think we've got under the skin of the book in a way that you can only do when you get out on the road. Yeah. And I think you can draw a lovely map and people can have a lovely day out. I think we can give them a really quite good nine tailors route to go around and collect little bits. In fact, Uh, I could make it into a Panini sticker book where you have to collect (laughs) all the bits of the nine tailors and then stick them together into into the story. Okay. I think that would be good. Tim doesn't have a job at the moment. By the way, listen, I don't want one, so don't, don't make that sound like a plea for help or, or that you've got some offer of, oh, why don't you come and do this? Forget well, it. May, maybe Panini will be calling you up. Yeah. Literary Panini. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll pitch them that idea, see what yeah, they yeah. like. Yeah, 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 like sticker books of churches that yeah. you can collect in I the fence. I think fence. it's more likely you were going to work in a Panini sandwich shop myself. There you go. So I was hoping that we'd exit on the bells of St. Windreda's. Can you not put in in post? Yeah, I think I can find some bells, but okay. not, not those bells. Well, the listener will never know. Well, Helen will. Helen will. <laughs> Sorry, Helen. Sorry, Helen. We have a shout-out. We do. We would like to shout-out to Nikki Forgham-Healy, who's just subscribed to our Patreon page at the top level. Yes. Looking forward to chatting with you, Nikki. Well, about no, not the top level. You know that I put up there that for £25 you could come on a walk with us and have lunch. <laughs> oh, I don't Did think you know I that? I don't think I knew about that level. <laughs> so a shout-out to Nikki Forgham-Healy, who has uh, subscribed to our, I'm sorry, not the top level, I should say our Standard Plus. <laughs> our community <laughs> Patreon level. economy. <laughs> Our community yeah, patron our community level, where you get access she, to the drop. She, she, gets to, she gets to chat to us on Discord. Which that's is, right. Uh, yeah, as well as all the other benefits you get for £2, which is, you know, we we talk about a lot on this podcast. Yes. Episodes straight away, no ads. So, Nikki, you, if you get onto the Discord server, there's a section called Say Hello. So, say hello. So, come and say hello. Yeah, and welcome. The usual thanks go to Learning Music. For our Basie Loop. Yes, that's right, our, our Basie Loop theme tune. Learning Music is an artist on the Free Music Archive. If you search that name, you will find a number of tracks on there, including uh, uh, the track that we've taken our loop from. So thank you very much. And I also have to thank Guy Lombardo Mm. and his Royal Canadians. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) All the music that you heard that was all crackly and from 78 RPMs is from the Internet Archive. I liked Guy Lombardo. Did you know he's one of the few musicians who's mentioned other than the Beatles, in Yellow Submarine. Mentioned? Yes, in the script. Oh, the film, not yeah. the song. In the f- yeah. yeah. Okay. In That's the film. interesting. I didn't know so that. So there's no. a Ted Lewis connection there, you see, because yeah, Ted Lewis was an animator at he was. Yellow Submarine. When Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Band is released from their bubble and they start playing music and all the Blue Meanies can't stand it, mm. the big Blue Meanie shouts, Who is responsible for this? And his little chum, I can't remember what his name is called, Max, isn't he, mm. says... Guy Lombardo. Mm, very good. <laughs> I like it. And the final thank you to lowlandrambler.com because we said in the churchyard that we couldn't find 
many names of characters. Oh, in yes. Bluntisham Churchyard. Yes, we, we, we slightly disbelieved the blogosphere on that one. But we? there is. We missed Eliza Thoday. Oh, OK. There's a picture of it on lowlandrambler.com. Well, that's a shame, because the Thodays are big characters in this book. Yeah, uh, so there is one. There is a Thoday in Bluntisham Graveyard. Very good. Correction. Well done. Where are we off to next time? Well, it's an interesting problem next time. We're going to a place in a book that isn't a place. We're going to a real place that isn't the place in the book. You're confusing me. And we're getting very, very lost in West Sussex. Ah, yes. This is Ruth Rendell, isn't it? Is it is Ruth Rendell. So, so we've well, done Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers, and next time we're doing Ruth Rendell. Join us in a place as strange as Midhurst.